Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. He's not even a player anymore. He wouldn't. He is a coach. He had a broken thumb. I mean, next year he'll play in the field. He's, but he he's giving. Play. He's giving last minute tips to other players who are then taking the ball out of the park. Immediately watching video as they go back into the field. They had five home runs last night. They had five home runs. I got a. I got a message from a friend of mine. It said, it looks like Philly knows what's coming. And I said, wouldn't it be great if they were cheating? Perfect opportunity. No <laughs> one would be great. Would, who would suspect People them? would just be like, right. okay, don't do it next time. But, you know, have you checked the trash cans? The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So you know me well enough to know I didn't stay up for all of it. Um, I stayed up for five or six innings last night. And I woke up this morning to find out that it was a combined no-hitter. Richard Justice is going to join us in a minute. I'm not. Combined no-hitter to me is okay, but it's not Don Larson, okay? It's, it's combined. On the other hand, and we'll ask Richie about this, the pressure on the relievers to go out there and maintain the no-hitter is staggering to me. A guy's coming in in the eighth, and he goes, oh, my God, I got to throw and, and make sure they – and then in the ninth, I got to make sure that this thing lasts. So pretty, we'll talk pretty about Pretty good play that. by the third baseman to protect it at the end. Yeah, we, will, we will talk – is that Bregman is a yeah. very – Yeah, he is. Bregman is a great clutch player, and he's been great in the playoffs. He really has. Um, so we'll get to that. I just wanted to mention this before we get to Richie that I knew three people. I know at least three people who were at the game last night. Um, Ron of Ron and Liz – and Ron's dad. Oh, fantastic! They went up there. The the, the Giovannis went up there from South Jersey, and I they hope watched he brought that a crust game. Of bread, you know, and they watched <laughs> yes, that game. And case. my physical therapist Scott, who's a Philly guy as well, went from Washington to watch the game. They are probably disappointed because the Philadelphia Phillies didn't win, and they're Philly fans. But years from now, they take away from this game that they saw something that had never been done before. Yeah, a combined no hitter in the World Series. That's that's one of those things. Like when people say to me, well, what's your top five? And I tell you, well, I start with, you know, Ben Johnson and Carl Lewis. But, you know, th- for the average guy to be able to go to a World Series game is great. Michael and I went to game three. Nats lost, but we went to game three and we had a really – I don't go as a fan very often. Yeah. And I had a really good time to be able to go to a World Series game and then to see – I know your team didn't win. But it, then to see something as historic as this is a big deal. We bring in Richard Justice. It's two to two now. Um, what, if anything, surprises you so far? Oh, that's for me? Yeah. I said oh, we I'm bring sorry. in Richard Justice now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking questions of the dog. Yeah, it's you. Yeah, it's you. Yeah. All what right. surprises you, um, if anything? Well, you know, when you talk about the pressure of the no-hitter, oh. This was the pressure of the World Series. Yeah. Nothing could have been worse than what happened to the Astros in Game 3. Woo. To lose 7 nothing, to not even ever be in the game. The manager has spent, Dusty Baker, spent the last 24 hours before the Game 4 getting roasted, leaving the pitcher in too long. The colors. I mean, it, yeah. he, had, he deserved a nap. And to hand the ball to Christian Javier and say, hey, uh, we need you to turn the whole World Series around. And for him to do what he did... Um, that's it was uh, to me it was surprising because they look like a beaten team after game three and you you say well and you know you, you reset it tomorrow with another starting pitcher and all of that um, you know that's a pretty hostile place to reset everything on the other hand they they've been booed for three years so it doesn't that kind that's, of stuff I said this you can do you yeah. know and let me just say this what you saw in game four that's the Houston Astros 
Christian Javier was a $10,000 Dominican signing. Brian Abreu, who was dominated, was next. He was a $40,000 signing. And the two guys that finish up, Montero and Presley, those were two guys, trade deadline acquisitions, that they turned into monstrous pitchers. That's why the Houston Astros are great, what you saw there on display. Although, you know, no one expects it to be that great. That's right. So I was on the PTI show the other day. I made this point. I said, it doesn't matter that they're on the road. They've been booed. They've had garbage thrown at them for two to three years now. They have grown a hard shell, right, Richard? They, they yeah. don't care about being on the road. But the, the significant fact was that the Phillies were 6-0 and at home. And coming out of a game where they were, as you say, completely dominant. Let's get to that question. The, the successive building pressure on reliever after reliever after reliever. I mean, I know they're just there to hold their inning, but don't you think they think that they know it's a no-hitter, they know the pressure's on them? They know it, and especially I think about Brian Abreu. Now, now Javier has just been dominant. On any other team, he would be a, a number one or a number two. He throws 93, but it, it has what they call spin on it. You know, Bryce Harper said after the game, 92, but it plays a lot faster than that. Right. But it, it, Brian Abreu wasn't even a guy, wasn't even a late-inning guy. He, he pitched his way in, into that role. So they're aware of it. But I do think there was an overriding uh, storyline is that, hey, we've got to win this game. Yeah. We want the no-hitter. And then by the ninth inning when the game is in hand, you know Ryan Presley felt it. But he, this is his second, second time this season he's finished up a combined no-hitter. Yeah, they, they felt all of that. They celebrated that. But what they really celebrated is, okay, we're going to go back to Houston for at least one game. Do you – do you have an issue? I understand it's a no-hitter, but to right. me it's not a no-hitter. You know what I mean when it's combined? <laughs> and we're seeing that a lot more now because of the different use of relief pitching right. over the last 10, 15, 20 years. We see these things now. They're not. They're, I, how do you feel about that? Um, I think this is the new era of baseball we're in. I was looking up uh, some Nolan Ryan stats from the 70s and all of that, you know, when you'd have 60 pitchers throw 200 innings. I think we had six throw 200 in, uh, through 200 this year. It's just the era we're in, so we're going to have to get used to this. And also, I think we're going to have the, the change is I'm not going to take a pitcher out with a with a no hitter. Well, you certainly are. If you you now we now know you're in endangering the guy's That's health. Right. But when you go and you look back and you say, hey, look, this has happened twice in the World Series where the other team didn't get any hits at all. It's happened only three times in the entire postseason when you factor in. Roy Halladay's no-hitter yes. against the Reds. Yes. Um, it's history, and, you f- and I think we'll feel that. Um, and I think what you have to do is also appreciate how great Christian Javier was and how great those relievers were. And in this most hostile environment, they sort of silenced it a little bit. And an offense that had, frankly, done nothing got them, got them a little breathing room late in the game. I got this text last night from Finn, the great Finn of Pineapple Landscaping, early in the game. And he was saying how Nola's curveball was just completely filthy and wonderful. And I wrote him back and I said, are you watching the other guy too? <laughs> are you watching the other guy too? Because the, the other guy looks pretty good as well. Um, they have a great pitching staff. That, that to me, when they lost the first game, when Verlander imploded, and then the relief did not hold the fort completely, I... You know, I know they came back and won the second game. This is the pattern of the series. 
that right. Houston loses games in ways they don't usually lose games, and then they come back to win. And I hear confidence in your voice that Houston, I, I think you believe Houston will win this series, right? Well, I think at some point you run out of pitching. This is a bullpen game tonight for the Phillies. They yeah. always, when this World Series started, they were going to have two of these games. You know, as, the, as Rob Thompson would lay it out for the writers, I think he would get to a point with game six or seven going, and I have no idea who I'm going to pitch. Right. The bullpen game, as you guys talked about yesterday, was supposed to be game three. The rain out yeah. saved them from that. So they're, they're going to hope Noah Syndergaard can go one through, time through the order tonight and then figure it out. The great thing about watching the Phillies play, the great thing about watching Robbie Thompson manage is that he manages like there's no tomorrow. I'll, I'll, if i got to pitch my game three starter today, I'll pitch my game three starter today and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. I want to win today. And he's done this the entire postseason. Dusty Baker's taken a completely different approach. And it, 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 based on game three, based on how many times he allowed two starting pitchers to give up five earned runs, which yeah. you should never do. Yeah, Verlander and McCullers. When you have baseball's deepest pitching staff. You can't, you can't do that. McCullers is getting tagged. Tagged. You know, you've you got to get him out of that game. I, I didn't really right. understand the, the, that. The, the, you have to manage with your hair on fire, especially when you had, you had t- two days for the deepest bullpen in baseball to rest. Yeah. That all these arms wind, wind up. You know, and there's a feeling like, well, McCullers is my guy. Verlander is my guy. I'm gonna st- I'm gonna trust my guy. He's kind of managed that way the ho- the whole World Series, and it uh, un- until last night it looked like it was gonna have a bad ending. It still may, you know, Verlander hasn't been great in the postseason. He's he's had a couple of moments. Uh, it, the TV cameras kept showing him late in the game, and he was chomping on chewing gum. And I kept thinking, oh boy, I wonder what's going through that guy's mind because, you know, it's probably probably the game the team that wins. Game five tonight is going to win the World Series. Well, he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. It's you know we we saw this for years with Maddox um, that and with Kershaw that in the postseason they were not as good as they were in the regular season, and then uh, Kershaw had a certain amount of redemption. I I imagine Verlander's a smart guy. I know him. You know him. He's a smart guy. I imagine this weighs on him. Don't you think? Yeah, but he will always have 2017. He took the ball nine right. times in 2017, and they won seven of those games. He rescued a franchise. That World Series trophy, even if it's tainted to plenty of people, he is most more responsible right. for that World Series trophy than anybody else. This is icing on the cake. He spoke yesterday as if this is my goodbye to Houston. I, I, you know, he's unsigned. I don't... He's going to command. Well, what did Max get? Forty million. Forty-three. I mean, Justin's going to get that, something like that. So if this is his swan song for Houston, uh, he's picked a, a great moment to be at his best, and uh, it, be, it would be foolish to doubt him. But this thing has not played out the way we thought. You know, if you know, given the way this thing's playing out, maybe Syndergaard will throw six shutout innings. So Who knows? Let me get to Syndergaard. There was a period of time, it's not that long ago, it's not ancient history, where the Mets had Matt Harvey and Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom and Steven Matz. And each one of them, at some point, looked great. And Syndergaard had seasons where you went, wow, he's better than the others. What happened to him? That's the attrition rate of pitchers. He's been hurt. Yeah. You know, DeGrom, there's some questions about him. He has been hurt, too. That's, that's what happens. That's why you... That's why you see teams draft 
45 players, and 30 of them are pitchers. I think some team let two years ago, the Angels, drafted all pitchers, used every draft pick on pitchers because the attrition rate is astonishing, and that's what happens. That's, that's what happens. That's the risk of, of trying to put together a pitching staff. So Dusty got roasted for the way he's oh not going God. to really. Okay. Yeah, our, our mutual friend Brian Kenny yeah. did a number on him, and sadly, he's right. <laughs> Brian Kenny does a number on you. He does it with data, yeah. And um, you know, and he just pitcher managers, good managers, don't leave pitchers in to give up five runs. No excuses. Okay, but you think the Astros will win? I do. Yeah, I do. I think I don't think they're going to lose at home. And what they, you know, Verlander. <clears throat> they win for sure tonight if Verlander wins. And then they have Framber Valdez and all hands on deck. Framber for game six, who they right. trust like crazy. Well, they uh, should. He's going to be top five in Cy Young votes. Yeah. And then, and then McCullers and, the whole, and Johnny Holstaff for game seven. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought when the Phillies came back for their first win um, and they got to Verlander and they won that game, I thought they were going to win. I, I, I've watched them. You know, we all watched them win three in a row at home against the Padres. Right. And when they won game three, I thought, you know what? If the Astros don't win tonight, they're out, and they're out in five. And Wilbon screamed at me, no, no, no. <laughs> I've watched the Cubs. You know, everything with Wilbon is, I've watched the Cubs come back with you. <laughs> three, one. You know, okay, fine. But I, Richie, you and I concur. They had to win last night. Right, and it wasn't yeah. just that Dusty left the pitchers in too long. The offense has been terrible. I think when they scored last night, it had been 16 innings without a run. Alvarez had done nothing since early in the postseason. That's um, right. You know, uh, Altuve had been in. I never, Altuve I've swings him, at the I first pitch. Every, his whole career, I've never seen him like this. The DHs, nothing. They had holes all through the lineup. Right. Really, the only guy who'd been at a professional level, a championship level, was Bregman. He's a very good player. He's oh a great God. player. And he, he loves the moment. He's one of those guys. Uh, but Altuve, you could throw the ball that could bounce 20 feet in front of home plate if it's the first pitch. He's going to swing. <laughs> he's an eager young man. He is, he's an eager young man, and, and uh, they're, they're, they want to be cautious that, that his aggressiveness doesn't rub off on young players. He does it a certain way because he's got the fastest – fastest hands that yeah. you've ever seen he can he you can't fool him but in this postseason he's gotten you can tell it's in his head he's been getting himself out but he's righted the ship a little bit the last couple of games all right we get to watch some more baseball always makes me happy thank oh, you yeah. richard we'll talk soon richard Thanks. justice boys and girls uh we'll take a break jason lock and Fora when we return um and we will talk about football I just can I just go on for one minute here? There was a lovely dinner last night at Columbia uh, for the outgoing head golf pro Bob Dolan, who's helped so many people over so many years. Is the only golf pro I ever head golf pro I ever knew at Columbia, and so there's a big dinner for him. And Wilbon and I did something, you know, on tape. I have no idea how it went over. It didn't go over, and I went over there to to congratulate him, and because I like him very much. And at one point, I get um, uh, my friend Bob Branson says to me, come over here. I got Bob Ford here. Now, for those of you who don't know, which is almost everybody that I'm talking, Michael, explain who Bob Ford is. No, I'll let you, you're, you're telling the story. Okay. Now. So Bob Ford is, was the head golf pro at Oakmont, which is every single year, one of the top 10 courses in America. Championship ready to right. play the U S open tomorrow. Uh, yes. And he's the head pro at Seminole, which is 
second to Augusta, the course that everybody wants to play, right? Uh, this is the course that Ben Hogan would play in preparation for Augusta. Yeah, this is the course everybody <laughs> wants to play, Seminole. And Bob Ford has, and there is such a thing as a golf pro gene. And you know it when you meet someone who does it well. And that is the ability to focus on you. You've never met this person before. You're at his place. To focus on you, to welcome you there, to put you at ease, and to tell you a small story or two so that that experience starts out with something so remarkably collegial. Because you're nervous because you've never been to this place before. Right? You're nervous. You want to make sure you don't do anything awkward. And these are two places that you very well likely will never go back to play again. It's a one-shot. It's an Oakmont and and Seminole. One-shots. Okay. So I I know this about Bob Ford. And I've met Bob Ford in my life a few times. I've met Bob Ford. He is... And Michael, would you the quintessential golf pro? He is the quintessential golf. He pro. has the Watched manner. Watched his tee off at Oakmont. Yeah, he has the man. He knows he's great. He's just great. And the Bob Dolans of the world will tell you that guy, Bob <laughs> Ford. That's the guy. It, there's a gene to it. Not not only does not everybody have it, it's rare. He's got it. So I go over, and Bob Branson is standing there. Um, Greg Lecker, who worked for Bob Ford for a number of years, is standing there. Um, with Bob Ford and Henry Delosier. Henry Delosier, the wild man, Henry Delosier, who was, um, played golf at the University of Maryland, played with Buddy Marucci, it play, has played in the Masters. Okay, so how good are you? Have you played in the Masters? Hmm. Henry has played in the Masters, right? Run, you little. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. an insider joke if you've yeah. played with And Michael, you love with play, you've loved playing with, with Nothing Henry. Nothing better than telling him our second born was named Henry and giving me a confused look. Not realizing, not that Henry. (laughs) So, and then what happens is exactly what should have happened and what I expected to happen. Before I say a word, Bob Ford says, hi, Tony. It's just like, right? Because he, you know, now you you point out that he would know me because of the PTI show. Sure, but But what's what's great about this is he would likely know you even if you're not on TV in the pro shot most days. That's right. That's right. And there's behind-the-scenes stuff. Whenever you visit, oftentimes shops have the list of names of people who are coming through, and you try and give them that special moment. It's just he's so great at it. You know, I, when I meet people who are real good at what they do, I just admire it so much. I do. Anyway, that's my small little story. Um, and congratulations to Bob Dolan after all these years because he's been a great golf pro at Columbia. And our great hopes for Steve Delmar who's going to take over that position. And this is so personal, and you're saying, shut up already and get to the next guest. So we will. I'm Tony Kornheiser. (laughs) I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. (laughs) Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Oh, we're the Phillies, we're the team of Connie Mack. Down five, nothing to Houston, we came back. We're the Whiz Kids, we're Schmidt and Luzinski, past the warning track. We're the Phillies, we're the team of Connie Mack. 
I'm Bryce, I like to swing the bat. He's unafraid. 13 years, 330 million. He's underpaid. I'm Schwarber, I really like to hit home runs. I'm Aaron Nola, beat my brother's team. That was fun. Before each game, we all eat cheesesteak with a grin. Our fans, they like to boo us. Even when we win <laughs> If we beat Altuve We're the top of the pack We're the Phillies We're the team of Connie Mack Connie Thompson That of course is the brilliant Dan Byrne That is among the most brilliant songs I've ever heard it's Just tremendous. And he guy. writes I heard that the Phillies have songs they sing together Before and after games like an old time baseball team I try to imagine what such a song might be like. It's, he's brilliant. Yes, he he's is. He's simply brilliant. <laughs> yes. And he plays in Jason Lockenford. Jason, he's brilliant, is he not? He's brilliant. Yeah, I don't know if he's good luck or not with them getting no hit and all, but right. yes. <laughs> wow, it's just. That timing might be a little amiss, but okay. brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I got a million questions, but they, they all pale compared to the big news of yesterday. Yeah which is the admission by Dan Snyder that he has hired the Bank of America mm-hmm. to, to put together what is referred to as a transaction. It is not referred to, it could be for the whole team. Right. It could be 51%, it could be 100%, or it could be less. It could be a minority stake. Wilbon is totally confident that it's a Robert Sarver situation. He says, I told you, I told you. He's going out. He's selling the whole thing. I remain skeptical because I see Dan Snyder as a sort of guy trapped in a corner, you know, thrashing around and seeing what he can do to hold on. What do you hear? What do you think? Well, I mean, if you just sort of read tea leaves in the way that they have put out statements in the past and even just two weeks ago, you know, in response to some ESPN reporting, sort of the bizarre statement um, his lawyers put out. If you look at this, um, there's no screaming all caps. There's no, you know, we will absolutely have right. final say and authority over the team. Or So certainly the door is ajar. I, I have a hunch. It's just a complete theory um, that the way this might go down, given everything going on with this franchise is after all he's been through i don't think he wants to sell low and this certainly would be selling low um but is there a possibility to bring in a good cop some uh, you know some third party who will have the right to purchase the full thing at a certain point in time with that sale price contingent on whether a stadium is built and where that stadium is built. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, if somebody comes in and they can help get this thing done in Southeast, that's a whole lot more valuable than putting it, you know what I mean, somewhere down a toll road in that's you know, right. that's Woodbridge right. or whatever. That's right. And so could that the, the, the emergence of that third party and someone, I don't know, maybe with real real estate acumen somewhere in that group and with goodwill, could could they help push that over the 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 into the end zone, if you will? Therefore, driving up the value and future value of the franchise. Therefore, driving up whatever that final 
sale price is. And then Dan Snyder, at least in his mind, could look at it as, I sold high, and whether they want to give me credit for it or not, I'm the guy who brought the our skins, now commanders, yeah. back to D.C. Right. I just wonder if that is maybe how this ultimately goes down. That's a great theory. It really is. I was... I. I'm not smart enough to have thought of that. I thought what he was doing was trying to get liquid to a degree, bringing in somebody at about 40%, getting an infusion of cash because I think the other owners may say, let's squeeze him. We've been allowing him to go on credit for all these years. He has no money. Well, he definitely needs, yes. He yeah, he has no money. man or so money gap. That, yeah, so that way. But, but if, who's going to take that deal unless there's some way to ultimately, re- like I'm going to come in, I'm going to, I'm going to make you liquid. I'm going to um, try to help you dig out of this hole. But I don't get the team. Right, but I'm right. just going to keep doing that for 40 cents on the dollar moving forward. No, 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 no. Okay, so yeah, yours makes more, yours makes more sense than mine. What I still don't think will happen is the sort of Jimmy Ursay scenario. We'll take a vote and get rid of him. I don't think that's going to happen. Do you? Maybe it will. I don't, and I think him doing this is probably, I think that um, the more reserved people in that billionaire boys club will look at what he's doing now and, and, and say, let's let this play out a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we don't need to force that issue. And look, as much as Ursay said what he said, they didn't even have a conversation about having a vote in October. That's right. At the owners' meeting. Yeah. And they didn't do it. Yeah, because Ursay is a, is a lone wolf guy. I mean, Ursay's a guy you'd throw out <laughs> if you had a I chance. Think he's, I think he's speaking for, for some, some people there, but the way they genuine, like generally operate um, and at the pace with which they do it, and given the fact that there's like now – were six investigations, I think, after the other. Oh you know, my God! Uh, there's so many. Reports, Somebody's going to uh, find like, something. Yeah, about the other investigation now into the potential financial improprieties. Um, yeah, I, I think that they'll wait and see who he can bring into the fold. He's alone out there. He's totally alone. He has no support whatsoever. That doesn't mean they're going to throw him out tomorrow. Right. It right. means he has no support. So. So yep. your scenario makes a whole lot of sense, especially if that guy was, say, Jeff Bezos, who's already a partner and who has interests in Washington. And I was always told that yep. he, he didn't want to buy a baseball team because he could buy anything. Sure. He bought the Washington Post for pocket change. You know, he could buy anything he wants and he'd be approved. And he's a full partner with the NFL now yes. in, in broadcast. So, of course, they'd let him in, right, Jason? Of course. Uh, yeah, I don't think there'd have to be a whole lot of vetting going on there. <laughs> no. So anyway, all right, let me get to some football things. The trade deadline, one or two things stand out to you that you think affect the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, look, there was uh, more activity than ever right at the deadline and more activity than ever if you if you look at the deadline in its totality, which I think you have to. Like, the Christian McCaffrey trade was a trade deadline trade. Yes. I mean, they they – they had a game, then a buy, then the deadline. And they didn't want to let him play in any more games, and they had the market where they wanted it, so they dealt them two weeks before the deadline, but that's, that's a trade deadline move. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's teams that are going to get better because of the transactions they made. I think there's teams that are going to struggle because of, you know, the sort of opportunity cost of not 
doing anything, not not wagering any future assets on current assets. Um, you just go look at the Rams and how much the deadline meant to them a year ago, right? And it really, like, they don't do what they did without Von Miller. They get Von Miller. Miller. Come on. Yeah. They win. And, and they're, 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 they're sort of screaming for help now more than ever. And, it, look, they, they really wanted to get Brian Burns. Um, the Panthers ultimately just kind of set the goalpost where they set them, and, and the Rams couldn't quite get there because they're, they're hemorrhaged from so many other draft pick trades. But, yeah, I mean, to not address their offensive line or their defensive line or – their situation with their the, the pass catchers outside of Cooper Cup, who don't look now, but he's on the injury report. Um, I, even if they bring Odell back, I don't know what that's going to look like. You know that he's he's now a, a multiple times um, injured Odell Beckham, and he will have not played football for a long time. And they're going to need like they need help right bleeping now. Like the, if there's a two or three week ramp up till he really becomes himself again. That that might be too too late. So I think that's going to be a problem. I think the Packers not doing anything. I, I know Aaron Rodgers, you know, kind of said all the right things yesterday. But if that if they continue to look like how they've looked during this four game losing streak, that's a ticking time bomb. Um, and he's not a guy who who generally bites his tongue. And that's an offense that looks really broken right now. And it's a fifty million dollar quarterback who looks like he just wants to manage the game throw screen passes to his running backs and hand it off, even if we're down 17 in prime time on national television. That's that's not good. Um, a lot of people in the league, I talked to some general managers and some evaluators and wrote about some of this at the Washington Post yesterday. Uh, the Broncos, the Bears, people really can't figure out exactly w- w- what they're up to and um I mean, if the Broncos are already in, let's just sort of recoup what we gave up for Russell Wilson or as much of it as we can. That's a weird place to be in so soon. And the Bears trading what could be, I don't know, 30, 34th, 35th, 38th overall pick for Chase Claypool, who was a malcontent in Pittsburgh, who was very erratic. He wasn't a consistent producer. And he was a guy who who, who whined when he didn't get the ball. Well, Nobody's throwing the ball. You got to go back to the 1970 Patriots to find people throwing the ball less than the 2022 Chicago Bears. Like, yeah. how's that going to work out? And yeah. you traded a pick likely higher than where Claypool was picked for Claypool, who wants to get paid but might not be all that great. I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, yeah, that was a bit of a head scratcher. Um, you know, and and look, even the trades that that a lot of people applaud because of the value, or because of the quality of the player in a Roquan Smith to Baltimore, in a, in a Bradley Chubb to Miami. Miami. It's less than ideal when you give up that sort of draft capital for guys who you, you don't have signed, you don't have cost certainty with. That creates a lot of leverage for the player. And in Baltimore, it's particularly noteworthy because normally you would say, well, he's on his fifth-year option. We'll just tell the agent, hey, we're going to franchise you, and then we'll figure it out. Well, <laughs> He doesn't have an agent for starters. So now you've got Roquan Smith and Lamar Jackson, who you've got major contract situations with, and they both represent themselves. And B, no, you can't even pretend you're going to put the franchise tag on him because you've got to put the exclusive franchise tag, exclusive rights on your quarterback. Of course you do. Because he's playing out five years, and somehow he still doesn't have a contract. <laughs> That's just, yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, 
someone had to say to the general manager, hold on a second, we don't have that flexibility because we got to keep Lamar. One way or another, we got to keep Lamar. That's very interesting. It is. It's really interesting. Um, yeah, I got a much. You know what? That's good. To plug your radio show. That's good. <laughs> plug your radio show. Uh, you can listen to more of this yammering from 2 to 6 every weekday Eastern Time on Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan. In Baltimore, you can stream us at www.1057thefan or uh, listen to us uh, in real time or as a podcast on the Odyssey app. Fantastic. Thank you, Jason. We'll talk Thank next week. Thank you, guys. Have a great weekend. And read Jason in the Washington Post. It's, it's just great. I'm Tony Kornheiser, and we will be back. We'll have Jeff Ma. Right, Jeff Ma, when we get back, I'm Tony Kornheiser. We'll also have Carville now doesn't even come on the show. He just sends picks in to Nigel. That's all he does. So we will announce Carville's picks as well. Yes. And I'll write them down for the first time. All right, get us out of here. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Thanks for taking time for an in-game interview from the Tony Kornheiser Show. Nigel, we were wondering how you think the first segment went today. I thought it went well. We had a song from Don Stewart from his 87th album. And the bagel sandwich from the Thirst of Bagels was swell. Mr. Tony had a rant about the Nats missing a catch. Well, quite understandable, just a brutal baseball match. Thanks for giving us an in-game interview from the Tony Kornheiser Show. Michael, we just had Carville make some predictions. Would you care to recap what he said for me? I have no idea what Carville ever says. My infant son, the captain, speaks more intelligibly. Hey, Mr. Tony, could we have a quick word about the emails coming up that you're going to read? I haven't got a clue why anyone would think to write an email to this podcast. This show stinks. Thanks for giving us an in-game. From the Tony Kornheiser Show. How'd this guy get in here? Are you going to do the Framebridge read? Get him out of here! You'll have to leave, mate. Thanks for giving us <laughs> an in-game interview from the Tony Kornheiser Show. He's brilliant. Dan Burke. He's t- totally brilliant. <laughs> and it leads us, you know, to these in-game interviews. They used to talk to the manager between innings. Now they're talking while the game is going on. Yeah. They're, while the game is going on, they're just grabbing people and talking to them, and it is weird. It's strange, isn't it? <laughs> it's intrusive. Yeah. Like, you go, what, what is going on here? <laughs> Harper is so complimentary to everyone. Yeah. Just very, very weird. Jeff Ma joins us. Do you feel that same way? Do you feel that these in-game interviews are just sort of weird and you don't understand them? I just feel like these guys have better things to do with their time <laughs> in, the, in the heat of the moment and answer questions about what they you know, the strategy that, you know, the NBA started doing this and I don't know, the, yesterday in the, one of the NBA games I was watching, they were interviewing, I think, Jeremy Pickerstaff, like 
he was like walking around and it, it seemed like he really just needed to be somewhere else besides having this interview. So yeah, it is a little weird. You know, and, and did, are they on a delay? Cause these guys curse all the time. Are they on some, it's just, you know, you've, you've torn down the wall. Okay. I sort of understand why you want to do this. Everybody wants to direct the next great movie. You tear down the wall. You allow people in on something that they don't necessarily get before. But it's so weird, I want to put the wall back up. You know, Jeff, it's just, it's weird to me. I don't get it. Sometimes you don't want to see behind the curtain. Yeah, that's how I feel. Jeff Ma, uh, of course, the podcast with Rufus is called Bet the Process. Jeff was 3-2 and two last week, got back into the winning column, 20-15 and 15 overall. We will get to Carville's picks down the road. Carville just phones them in now. Although Carville, for God's sake, huh? yeah, he literally phones him in. He's twenty-one, thirteen, and one. He's killing it. Nice. Anyway, well. um, let's talk about the college rankings because people don't just bet the NFL. Let's talk about the the first poll that's out. I was a little surprised Tennessee was one. I think I was more surprised Georgia was three. Georgia's the defending national champion. They killed Oregon. Oregon's the number eight team in the poll. They, they beat them forty-five-three. I. I I thought they were undervalued at three. What is your reaction to it in terms of how it makes how it leads people to bet? Well, I think on the first hand, it's it's kind of nonsense. It's like uh, this network the that you work for yeah. needs entertaining entertainment, right? And this is a this is a television show. It's reality yes. TV that starts now. There's there's pretty much no reason to have rankings yet. Um, and, and the challenge with it is that each week they come out and they've got to come up with criteria that often changes. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of silly. I mean, I think the reality is right now we even see it that, um, you know, Georgia and Tennessee are playing this week and Georgia is an eight point eight. favorite yeah. over Tennessee, right? There's, there's no one that's a better that would say that, that Tennessee is a better team than Georgia. That doesn't mean that Georgia, that Tennessee will not win this week. But the you know the expectation is that Georgia will win. So on a neutral field, they're saying like Georgia's at least five points better. Um, you know, if you if you look at um, sort of Rufus's numbers uh, and the expectation, you would you would say that Tennessee would be an underdog to Georgia by about eight points. They would be an underdog to uh, Ohio State by about uh, eight eight points, and they would be an underdog to. Um, Alabama still by about six and a half. So, even though they beat them. You know, the, the, even though they beat Alabama. Even though they beat them. Yeah. Even though they beat them. I agree. And, uh, they beat them on the road by three um, in what we know was a very hotly contested game. But but the point is that, you know, the the betting markets are the ones that ultimately speak on this stuff. Um, and, you know, if, if the, the selection committee wants to go out and say Tennessee is the best team in the country, really – I think anyone who's a better would take that bet easily. They take any of those three teams even against Tennessee right now. Um, I would bet almost all my money on on any of those three teams even at Tennessee. Um, again, it's not saying that Tennessee can't win because we know that they they certainly can and they might this weekend. Um, but you know, the, the other thing too is that the committee knows in many of these cases they're not really going to have to make a decision, right? Like because ultimately. You know, Iowa State is going to play Michigan That's and, right. and these SEC teams. You know, I, I think the thing that we're looking at right now is the idea that could there be three SEC teams in the final with one loss. final uh, four? Because yeah. if you have a situation where Georgia wins here and then loses to Alabama 
in the championship of the SEC, you're going to have three one-loss SEC teams, and who are you going to really cut out? I think in that case, you're going to end up cutting out Tennessee, but um, it's just interesting because Alabama, in many ways, of all the teams in the SEC, may be in the best position because they have a very easy road to be in the SEC championship and then just have to win that in their end. Unless they lose to LSU, which no one really expects, but unless they lose to LSU. And by the way, Carville, who was a proud graduate of LSU, did not bet that game. You know, I mean, he's staying away from that one. So anyway, all right, what do you got, Jeff? But again, like Tony, that you yeah. can look at that and that's what, 12 or 13 points, right? I mean, like this is, it's, yeah. just, it's you know, the, 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 what the betting markets will tell you is a lot more than what any, what eight administrators from college football will tell you. I agree. Totally agree. Totally agree. What do you got? I'm going to take one college game to start. I'm going to take Clemson minus the three and a half over Notre Dame. Obviously, Clemson snuck in here at number four. They're getting a lot of scrutiny about it. The big thing with Clemson is that they're getting healthy on the defensive side, and they have some real dudes on the defensive line that did not play earlier in the year. People think Notre Dame has kind of turned around, and um, while they have certainly been you know, admirable, they have no real skill players that can make big, explosive plays. And you know, relying on moving the chains, you know, with five yards and a cloud of dust is not what you want to do against this Clemson front four. So um, I think Clemson will win this game easily. Okay. I'm going to take your commies plus the three and a half over Minnesota. <laughs> um, when you look up, is there is there a less impressive one-loss team than Minnesota? It's hard to even believe they have one, one loss, but they do. Um, and obviously – you know, that's what their record is. But I do think this is a situation where, um, you know, Washington's gotten it together a little bit. We, I think we like Heineke there better than, than Wentz. Um, Wentz. And yeah. Ultimately, this is a game that I think that uh, Washington can win. Do you think they win? You don't think it's just by point? Okay. Wow. Well, you know, if you have a three-and-a-half-point spread and you're picking the underdog, you certainly need to think they have a chance to win. You're not, you're not uh-huh. simply betting on them to win to lose by less than three and a half points because you know that that's that's a very small margin of of opportunity. You, you actually have okay. to think that the, the underdog has a reasonable chance to win. I don't um, I don't think Minnesota is all that good. I never do. I think when the spotlight is on, they fold up. But I do think that Kirk Cousins coming back to Washington uh, makes makes for an interesting variable. And in this particular case, I would think Kirk Cousins would do well. But maybe I'm wrong. What else you got? I'm going to take the Lions plus the three and a half over Green Bay. Um, the Lions defense has been obviously bad, and everyone's bad. Uh, documented yeah. how bad they've been recently. But their offense is still uh, pretty solid, and, and Green Bay certainly has not done very much to get me excited about um, them as a favorite on the road. Okay, okay. I'm going to take Atlanta plus the three over the Chargers. Um, Atlanta, again, another team that's kind of going under the radar. Um, playing pretty well um, against the, a Chargers team who, you know, if this was just based on what's happened on the field this year, I think Atlanta certainly should be favored. But the Chargers came in with, with pretty high expectations, and people are still hoping that happens with, you know, Herbert being someone that they expect to be an elite quarterback. Um, getting the points with Atlanta is, is something that I'm interested in. Okay, what else? And then I'm going to take what's largely an unpopular pick, Arizona minus the two over Seattle. Um, we've talked a lot about Seattle and sort of how they've overperformed. Yes, they have. Yeah. Um, I just think this is a spot where, 
you know, it, it's hard in the NFL, we know, to sustain that type of overperformance for a long period of time. And teams do get into spots where they can take a break or they can get caught. And certainly this is a time where Arizona needs this game at home a lot more than Seattle does. Um, and with a short line of, of only two points, um, you know, the, the odds makers are telling you that they expect that Arizona will win this game more often than not um, with a two-point spread. Now, at two points, I'm willing to take Arizona. So uh, you, you spoke before that you look at Minnesota's record and you don't think they're as good as the record. I thought there were two teams that I felt that way about, Seattle and the Giants. Now, Seattle beat the Giants, right? They beat the Giants because I didn't think the Giants – I mean, the Jets I don't even consider any good. I'm not going to waste my time with the Jets. And when their best running back went out, I would never bet the Jets at that point. But I, I tend to look at this the same way you do, that like how is Seattle doing this? And Arizona's not bad, even though I don't necessarily trust the coach and the quarterback. They're not bad, right? And Hopkins is coming back is a big deal. Am I wrong on this? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it definitely seems like Hopkins. I think people kind of underestimated how good Hopkins Whew. was last year. I think he was pretty beat up and, and hurt, but he's been certainly spectacular the last two games that he's been back. Yeah. Um, you know, even the last game last week was, was, you know, all over the place. And so, yeah, I think it, it makes a big difference to their offense. Certainly makes a big difference to Kyler to have someone to rely on. And, and they have another guy, Rondell Moore, the other wide receiver, that is, um, you know, come around a lot too. So if you get Kyler with some weapons um, against the Seattle team, which is still not a great defense, they've certainly overperformed what we thought they would be. But I think Arizona will be able to put up some points. Okie dokie. That's good. That's good. Thank you. As always, people can get bet the process where Jeff and Rufus talk. Do you have any guests on, on the most recent podcast? We do. We have a guy by the name of Bud Elliott who is um, a college football expert, um, really does a lot around recruiting. It, it's kind of interesting. He talks about this thing called blue chip ratio, which is the ratio of sort of uh, four and five star players you have to like uh, two and three star or whatever. And essentially it gives you a predictor of what teams can win uh, the national championship. It's, it's pretty interesting. Okay, for those of you who noticed how abruptly Jeff Ma went off the air, let me explain what has just happened. And it's been over the last 20 to 25 minutes. We lost the internet connection. Jeff was at the end of it, so and we were already talking about Bet the Process, so I felt that that was okay. And we've contacted Sean, and we have a workaround situation now. We don't even know if this is going to work. But we will finish the show. We will have email and jingle. When we return, I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got email, faxes, and you knows. Here comes Tony's mailbag. He's on for all of you folks. The aptly named Eric DeLong and the Slappy Boys. <laughs> we love that. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. I'm so glad that I don't have physical therapy or Helen today or I'd be going crazy. You're very yes. calm. Yes, you <laughs> are. Yeah, because I don't really have to do anything today. Uh, that'll do it for the mailbag. Uh, do it be- for us. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say Jackie Wilson said it was Reed Petit. Kind of love you got knocked me off my feet. Let it all hang out. Oh, let it all hang out. And you know, I'm so wired up. Don't need no coffee in my cup. Let it all hang out. Let it all hang out. That's the great Van Morrison. Pretty sure that's off the Moondance album, but I'm not exactly I sure. Liz and I still talk about the Van Morrison concert. You invited her to before we were dating. Right. When he played 
No Nothing. songs. No recognizable songs. <laughs> and got angry when people said, hey, play Brown Eyed Girl. No. No. That was at the I DAR, didn't want, right? I didn't even want Brown Eyed Girl. I wanted, I wanted Jackie Wilson said, I didn't get anything. Tupelo Honey, anything. Thanks to our guests today, Richard Justice, Jason Lockenfora, <laughs> Jeff Ma. Carville's picks, by the way. Tennessee plus eight over Georgia. Kansas State plus two and a half over Texas. Clemson minus three and a half over Notre Dame, the same as Jeff Ma. Washington plus three and a half over Minnesota, the same as Jeff Ma, the same as Chuck Todd. <clears throat> LA Rams plus three over Tampa Bay, the same as Chuck Todd. Kansas City minus 12 and a half over Tennessee. And is th- that's the same as Chuck Todd. Yeah. So he's going the full Chuck Todd. Thanks to our guests. I said who our guests were. Thanks to our sponsors, Vincero, Simply Safe, and Harry's Razors. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, you can leave us a review. Turkey time only a few weeks away, and you can celebrate your World Series teams by going to johnnyo.com. Uh, use the code TKGOBBLE. Gobble. Gobble. Recommend the gobble, Sully gobble, and gobble, the Pamlico sweatshirt. I want to get these things myself. From Cindy Carried, <laughs> K-A-R-I-D. Hi. On the 11-1 Pardon the Interruption show, that's yesterday, uh, two days ago, Tony gave a shout-out to Cindy Kareed, and I think I'm the only one with that weird name, so I was wondering how and why I got the shout-out. Several friends have sent me the clip, and boy, was I surprised. It was Cindy Carey. Oh. It was Cindy Carey. Not Kareed. It was somebody who used to work for the Country Club yes. in North Carolina. It was very nice to me. Yes. But to Cindy Kareed, yes. God bless you. Have a great night. <laughs> you know? I mean, sure. Well, who's kidding who? From our friend Jason Smorrell. No, you want the podcast. <laughs> From our friend Jason Smorrell, yes, at least one of us, and I assume many think the traffic reports of small towns is funny, almost to tears. Thanks for all the laughs. The unofficial minor league general manager of the TK show, Jason Smorrell. Uh, From Dina in Damascus, forget about the wedding trifecta. Jamie, Julian, and I pulled off what is the greatest feat of littledom. We surprised Claire Natola with a birthday party. People came from five states. We gathered at Wardaka home of the Summer of Littles in Maryland for the surprise. Claire's reaction would require almost as many bleeps as Carville <laughs> if we sent you the video of the moment so I didn't attach it. But surprising Claire, the mother bear of the Littles, that's it. That's the list. And there's a huge picture yes. of everybody that was there. Very lovely. It's fantastic. This is a, a, a really interesting, interesting note from Wesley Kennedy in Delray Beach in Florida. And I know Delray Beach very well. Um, my friend Michael Kerr lives in Delray Beach. Dear Mr. Tony, long-time little, huge fan of the music played on the show. Been listening for years. I've always been impressed with the musical talent from across the globe. The woman from today, this was last week, had one of the most remarkable voices I've ever heard in my 41 years. This was a Michael Granberry special, was it not? Yes. The first few clips caught my ear, but I was preoccupied uh, waiting updates on if Brian Dayball threw a cigar at Richie James in pure anger for costing the Giants their season of rebirth. (laughs) Until yesterday, I'd never heard the name of Anke Duvacott, as I'm sure most of your listeners hadn't either. This is the part of the wonderment of your podcast, is every once in a while a random artist you'll never heard of will share music so beautiful you have to pull your car over. Long story short, her music was amazing. And it was. It really was. It really was. From David Hexter, among all the people and places that provide connective tissue among your listeners, I never expected to hear a musical connection. When my son, whose music you played a few years back, checked into his freshman dorm at the University of Delaware, In September 1994, one of the first things he did was go about and meet the folks on his and other halls in the dorm. The most interesting and impressive of these folks was a young lady named Anke Duvacott. This is, right? (laughs) Anke Duvacott. 
who had already issued her first collection of songs on cassette tape, dubbed Waterstains. That first album showed a singer-songwriter of already great talent and even greater promise. I was very, very pleasantly surprised to hear her on the show. She has on occasion turned up in D.C. on some of the smaller venues. So if your listeners enjoyed her, they should keep an eye on the music listings in some of the local papers. I'm going to go one step further. When I went to Camp Kiyuma a million years ago, there was a guy there who was about six or eight years older than I, was a waiter at the time. His name was David Hexter, and it was spelled H-O-E-X-T-E-R. It's an unusual name. Yes. I can't imagine this is the same David Hexter. I cannot imagine this, but maybe there is a connection somewhere. That's, that would be wild. From Tom Fountain in St. Paul, Minnesota, I've been a longtime fan from watching PTI after school with my parents through the radio days to the podcast. I couldn't help but smile when you mentioned Kinlock during PTI and here on the pod. I'd be honored to play 18 with you and two guests of your convenience before the weather turns too cold. Now, I don't have any connection to Kinlock. I don't live in Virginia, but I do have a pair of bolt cutters. And with enough, Johnny Walker could probably summon the courage to get us in after hours. To turn the phrase, please don't wear white. We're going to want to stay below the cover of darkness. Let me know what dates work best, and I'll need you to cover my airfare from Minnesota and any fees, fines, or trespassing tickets we accrue. I'm sure you understand. It's a brilliant, brilliant email. From Patrick Sitter in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Just wondering, you think any Kinlock members might invite me to play? And if so, do you think they'd throw in airfare lodging at a car rental? Just wondering. Let me know. P.S. Any road construction near that club that I should be aware of? That's a good question. From Matt Galassin in Winslow, Maine. Over the weekend, it was announced that the new traffic pattern will no longer go into effect November 5th. Instead, it appears November 14th is the new start date. I'll keep you updated with any further developments. Um, from David Epstein, New York, New York. I know it's a long shot, but if you happen to be in the New York metropolitan area the night before Thanksgiving, we'd love to host you and your family at our mostly annual Thanksgiving balloon inflation party. See attached invitation. Previous celebrity guests of ours have included Betsy Brandt and Brian Stokes Mitchell. Notable passers-by run from Lin-Manuel Miranda to Mayors Bloomberg and Adams. We'd love to add Dr. Anthony Kornheiser to this list, but truly the whole mishpucha is welcome, even Reginald, but only if he brings along Nigel. As you may know, all the balloons from Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade I used to call it the Macy's Day Parade. Always in my whole life. Not Thanksgiving, the Macy's Day Parade. They're inflated the night prior on the two streets that straddle the Museum of Natural History. We are fortunate to live on one of them. Tens of thousands of visitors queue up to see the balloons, but those of us who live on the block and are invited guests get a calmer, up-close view of the magnificent creations. It is really a magical evening, especially seen through the eyes of children, though my not-so-young children still get a kick out of it. I'm sure Bootsy and the Hammer will love it, and the captain will be told that he did when he gets older. (laughs) We have plentiful food and drink, especially the house's homemade pigs and blankets, which I personally hand-assemble. None of that prepackaged, flaky crust nonsense in our apartment. Plus, you can see firsthand our 34 kitchen outlets, which I believe is still the silver medalist in that long-running game. Please let me know if you can make it, if only so no one greets you at the door by saying, what are you even doing here, man? <laughs> Brian Stokes Mitchell, that's big time. That's, di- didn't he sing Les Mis? A ragtime, but I, I don't think you've ever heard him do Man of La Mancha. Oh. Impossible dream. Fair oh, I haven't. Mm-hmm. Sean Ramage or Ramage in Media, Pennsylvania. Media's near Philadelphia, is it not? As I was walking my dogs and listening to your podcast, I had the following stream of consciousness. Mr. Tony's middle name is Irwin. Anthony Irwin Kornheiser. I wonder if Michael's middle name is Anthony. Well, we can stop this right there because Michael's middle name is Philip. Michael Anthony. Wasn't he the best player, bass player for Van Halen? The nicknames for the Kornheiser boys should now be Bootsy the captain, 
The ha- Bootsy the Hammer, the captain, and the bass player. The bass player. Do you realize that Ethan Embry's character in That Thing You Do, the bass player, was never named? That's in right. the credits, he is literally listed as TB player, the yes. bass player. Mr. Tony should still do a That Thing You Do rewatchables podcast with Bill Simmons. That was a stream of consciousness <laughs> thing. I thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> Robert M. Berry, Rochester, New York. Listening to the mailbag on Monday's show, you mentioned the production of Night of the Living Dead in Atmore, Alabama, and I felt yes. that jolt that I'm sure all littles get when they hear something unusual that qualifies as that moment when you think, I know that. I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, and remember first seeing you and Michael Wilbon on your Sunday appearances of the Sports Reporters back in the mid-80s. Late 80s. Late 80s. Late 80s. Started yes. in like 87 or 88. My mom was forced to listen to the show while she would do things around the house. I moved to New York State in 88, and a few years later discovered your radio show. I've been a little ever since, but my mom left Lawrence in the early 90s and ended up in Atmore, Alabama. Of course. This little town, just to the northeast of Mobile, has a current population of just over 8,000. And what I remember from when I visited in the late 90s, that seems like a high number. But after all this time, it felt like a direct connection. Sadly, my mom passed in 1999. But hearing the town and making me think of her and realizing the connective circle through the decades brought a wistful smile. Thank you for your shows over the years. Hope you can figure out a way to get the gang back together on the pod in the future. It's... It's remarkable, isn't it? it? It honestly is. I know we get these all the time, so it's a small sample, but it's remarkable. From Tyler Etchenkamp in Lincoln, Nebraska. On the latest episode of the pod, you received an email from someone claiming that Milwaukee, Wisconsin, was the bowling capital of the world, or at least used to be. If I may, I'd like to throw Lincoln, Nebraska in the hat for modern bowling capitals of the world. Yes, this long email is about bowling, so brace yourself. As far as I can tell, the nation's only televised state high school bowling championships are hosted at Sun Valley Lanes in Lincoln, where top schools across the Cornhusker State duke it out. I was a member of a two-time runner-up Wayne Blue Devils team who were beaten out in back-to-back years by those thick necks in North Bend, (laughs) the Dodge family lineage. Specifically, Coach Randy and sons Anthony and Brandon can eat it. Besides that personal note, Lincoln is also home to the University of Nebraska's women's bowling team, arguably the most successful in the nation. Since their establishment as a club sport in 1990, the Cornhuskers have won 11 national championships with another four runners-up and have never missed the NCAA tournament. So while Milwaukee is a solid pick, Lincoln, Nebraska is the true home of bowling. Eat it, cheeseheads. From Dave the Rave. That's all he says. Dave the Dave Rave. Dave the Rave. I'm an Englishman living in northeast England. I came across your PTI show about 15 years ago. It was shown on a now-defunct satellite sports channel in the UK, and I've been following it on and off ever since. I knew very little about American sports back then, and still do, although I've visited your fine country three times now, and I've attended an NBA game. I recently came across your podcast, too. I often listen, particularly to your ramblings at the beginning. My favorite sports are soccer, cricket, and rugby, and I still have very little clue when it comes to American sports. I know you have a dislike for soccer, but I hope you will mention the outcome of the MLS Cup final after it takes place next weekend. Did it take place already? Philadelphia Union are involved. I love when the Brits make it plural and not singular. I hear Philadelphia sports is going through a purple patch right now. I also hope to hear you try to make sense of the World Cup later this month despite probably having little interest or understanding. Many thanks, Dave the Rave. So, Dave the Rave, if you're listening, um, I I like and respect the World Cup. Uh, I've seen these interesting commercials for Qatar or Qatar, however it is pronounced, that make it seem like it's just a paradise of sand and water. And I guess it is if you like the sand to be at a temperature of about 125. (laughs) I guess it is. And And one more. That MLS guy, that's this Saturday. Okay, good. Yes. From Barry Snyder and Carol sitting down now. We're an hour late with the podcast. We should have been done 40 minutes ago. Carol sitting down. Nice to see you. 
Barry <laughs> Snyder in Panama City, Panama, by way of other places. Just wanted to let the Panamanians little know. Littles know. Do we have that many Panamanians? Apparently we do. That Tillamook ice cream is available in Panama yes. at the Grand Deli Gourmet. Selections include Rocky Road, Coffee Almond Fudge, Oregon Strawberry, Old Fashioned Vanilla, Chocolate Chip Cookie Dough, White Chocolate Raspberry, Mint Chocolate Chip, Chocolate, Caramel Swirl, Cookies and Cream, Vanilla Bean, Caramel. I pronounce it Caramel. Other people pronounce it Caramel. Cor- caramel. Or caramel, caramel, yes. I always pronounce it Caramel. Toffee Crunch, also Salted Caramel, Oregon Strawberry, and Chocolate Mudslide Ice Cream Sandwiches. Sandwiches. You're out on your bike tonight in Panama <laughs> to wear white. Look, look at like the like Michigan man. Hi. Look at the Michigan man. Uh. Oh, 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 we're the Phillies. We're the team of Connie Mack. Down five nothing to Houston. We came back. We're the Wizkids. We're Schmidt and Luzinski. Past the warning track. We're the Phillies, we're the team of Connie Mack. I'm Bryce, I like to swing the bat. He's unafraid. 13 years, 330 million. He's underpaid. I'm Schwarber, I really like to hit home runs. I'm Aaron Nola, beat my brother's team. That was fun. Before each game, we all eat cheesesteak with a grin. Our fans, they like to boo us. Even when we win, if we beat Altuve, we're the top of the pack. We're the Phillies, we're the team of Connie Mack. Connie Thompson. Thanks for taking time for an in-game interview from the Tony Kornheiser Show. Nigel, we were wondering how you think the first segment went today. I thought it went well. We had a song from Don Stewart from his 87th album. And the bagel sandwich from the Festa Bagels was swell. Mr. Tony had a rant about the Nats missing a catch. Well, quite understandable. Just a brutal baseball match. Thanks for giving us an in-game interview from the Tony Kornheiser Show. Michael, we just had Carville make some predictions. Would you care to recap what he said for me? I have no idea what Carville ever says. My infant son, the captain, speaks more intelligibly. Hey, Mr. Tony, did we have a quick word about the emails coming up that you're going to read? I haven't got a clue why anyone would think to write an email to this podcast. This show stinks. Thanks for giving us an from the Tony Kornheiser Show. How'd this guy get in here? Are you going to do the Framebridge read? Get him out of here! You'll have to leave, mate. Thanks for giving us an in-game interview from the Tony Kornheiser Show.